Uh, we're jumping in this morning. I am, man, I'm really, really excited to jump into our text today. Um, this has been, I've known this passage has been coming up. It's been kind of on my mind for several weeks. I'm like, okay, because we're, we're walking through the gospel of John. If you're new with us, we've been kind of going through the gospel of John throughout the year, taking a break here and there, but keep coming back to it. Um, and so we're coming in, and we're this part in John chapter 8. So if you'd like to follow along on a mobile device or on, we have actual Bibles at the back. If you want a hard copy, it's going to be here on the screen as well. So you can follow along up here. But, man, I've known this text is coming up, and I've been looking forward to it. It's been on my mind. Um, and then just in light of just so much that's been going on in the world, in our local community, in our church community, in uh, our individual lives, I'm like, I want to preach this text today. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to revolve around the ideas of light and dark. Light and dark. Two ideas that um, are very, like, universal in the human experience. Uh, it's like this cultural thing that doesn't matter what, what kind of time period you're in throughout history, what culture you're in, like, like human societies have this understanding of light and dark. It shows up in, um, you know, like our pop culture references. I mean, shoot, you, if you watch Star Wars, you've got the light and the dark, and it's very, very obvious, right? And so light, it's usually light is good, dark is bad, light is good, dark is evil, like light is, is joy and happiness, dark is pain and suffering, right? It's just, we, we understand this, we recognize this. As humans, we don't really like the dark. Some of you do, you're like, no, I like the dark, I'm a night person. But I, I would argue that you like the dark when you're in control of the dark. When it's like, I, it's planned darkness, and like, I know it's going to be dark, and I know where all the lights are if I, want it, if I don't want it to be dark. But whenever darkness is just thrust upon us, we're like, oof, because darkness is a little bit of a threat to like our existence. Darkness poses a danger. There's, a, there's an increased um, kind of potential for danger, a heightened sense of awareness of danger when it's dark. Okay, when it's dark and you're in your house, or you're maybe you're, like I was sitting around a fire last night, and you hear a little noise, what's that? Right? You're like, what was that? Now, if it would have been during the day, you probably wouldn't even have heard it, right? It just would have, it would have not even, your brain wouldn't even have processed that you heard a noise, or you saw something move. Did you see that? I way over to the church this morning. Um, I get here really early on Sunday mornings. I get here at like 6. Um, and so I just live like right over that allotment over there. So I'm, I'm coming up, uh, what is that? Uh... Lindemore, Linwood, Linwood. I live on Lindemore. That's not the road I live on. Uh, coming up Linwood, out here at the stop sign, and I look, and the, the, the one basement window, it, what was the old kitchen here? The light is on in the basement, okay? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, somebody just let the light on, Phil. It's fine, it's fine. Well, then I get a little closer, and I swear I see something move, and I see the light turn off. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to go to church today, <laughs> right? And then I get a little closer, and the light's back on, and I'm like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, okay. Well, it turns out what it was is here on the side of our parking lot, the neighbors have some really tall ornamental grasses, okay? So when I drove to a certain spot, the light didn't go off, but I just couldn't tell that the grasses were blocking my view. So there was nothing that attacked me in the basement. So I don't like the dark, okay? That's what I'm saying. And we're going to get into that kind of theme today. Um, darkness, and this is, so this is what we naturally do. We know there's an increased kind of risk of danger, a threat to our existence when we encounter darkness. This is why when you walk into a room that's dark, the first thing you do is you start like feeling out, trying to find a light switch, or you pull out your phone with a flashlight, because there's an increased risk of danger. I don't want to be busting my shin on something, okay? I'm trying to find some light. I need some light to drive out the dark. So we're going to look at this idea. We're going to look at a claim that Jesus makes about himself around this idea. So what I want to do, I'm going to read all of our passage today, and then we're really just going to hone in on like one key idea, one or two of the verses out of it. So this is John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. We read that Jesus spoke to, to them again, this crowd of people, and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. 
Well, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. And I'm the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me also testifies about me. And they asked him, where is your father? You know neither my, uh, me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. And he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching them in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus said again, he, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he said, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. And what I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases so Jesus makes this bold claim, this wild statement right off the beginning. He says, I am the light of the world. And then these religious leaders, they, they start to like flip out. And they're like, whoa, 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 you, you can't say that. You can't claim that. No, you're not. We don't believe you. Uh, and they, they kind of use a technicality to write off Jesus' claims about himself. It's like, nah, you don't have enough witnesses, okay? Like, and Jesus is like, okay, I'll play that game. Here's my witness. Um, the, my witness is the Father himself. Like, God is my witness. You don't know him, and so you don't know me. And that was just a slap in the face to these people because they're like, these are the religious leaders. They're like, we pride our, like, we know God. And he's like, actually, you don't. Because if you did, you would recognize me. And so you, because you don't recognize me, you're gonna die in your sin unless you believe that I am he. And so those, these two verses, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. These, these two ideas come together to paint this really, really cool picture of what Jesus is, is talking about here. So let's talk about what this means a little bit. Verse 12, we're gonna, we're gonna live here for a little bit. Jesus spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world. What does he mean when he says that? two parts of that sentence that I want to talk about briefly. Just first, first off, it's this, the statement of I am. I am. Um, I am is a statement that, that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John seven different times. John records these I am statements of Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Um, and I am, instantly, when those words came out of Jesus' mouth, like the people around him would have been like, <gasps> like bells start going off, like kind of like a red flags, because I am was, was the name that was given that God used for himself. So in the Old Testament, there's, there's this, this moment where God rescues Israel um, out of slavery in Egypt, and he taps Moses on the shoulder and says, I want you to be the, the person that's going to lead my people. And Moses is like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And finally, Moses comes around, and he says, okay, well, who do I tell the people who sent me? Like, what, like what, what's your name, God? And God says, I am who I am. My name is I am. I will be who I will be. I am just the, the, the eternal, existent, all-powerful God. I am. And so when Jesus says, I am, they're like, what did he say? And then the second part of it, though, I am the light of the world. And we hear that, we're like, that's cool. As we've kind of been discovering in the Gospel of John, as through this, this journey, there's kind of moments where we're like, that, that's a cool metaphor. That's not like, and it, it, it's a nice picture. It's a nice little word picture. Like Jesus is, is light in the darkness, and he is, and that's great. But oh, there's so much more. There's so much more that when they heard this, they would just been, it would have been shocking because of the context in which he said it. 
So the past uh, couple of weeks as we've been in this, this particular section in the Gospel of John, um, starting in John 7 uh, and now into John 8, the scene that is being set, like Jesus is at this place in Jerusalem, this time called the Feast or the Festival of Tabernacles. It's, it's, a, it's a celebration that happens every year. Um, the Jewish people would celebrate every year. They still do this to this day. It's either called tabernacles or booths or tents or shelters or just Sukkot. And it's a moment in their, in their year, in their calendar, when they remember a very specific point in history. They remember this, this time when it's kind of their origin story, when God rescued them out of slavery. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull you out of slavery from in the nation of Egypt, and I'm going to bring you into this, this promised land. It's a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. All of your needs will be met. It's going to be this great, great place. You're going to go from slavery to the promised land. But there was 40 years of them wandering around in the desert in between there. 40 years where they didn't have a home, where they lived in tents, where they were a nomadic people. And all throughout that time, God protected them and provided for them and was with them. And so th- this, this festival of tabernacles is a, is a reminder of that. Hey, we're going to live in tents. They would go and live in tents for a week to remind them of that, that past and remember God's faithfulness during that time. And so that, that's what's going on. But the Festival of Tabernacles in our text actually gets a little bit interrupted by what we talked about last week. If you're here with us, we talked about the woman caught in adultery, the first 11 verses of John, and, and, and there's uh, very good evidence to say that probably doesn't belong at that particular spot in John's gospel. It kind of breaks things up a little bit. And so if we, we skip past that and we come like, hey, we're still at Tabernacles. We're still the same thing going on. And so Jesus had just said that we looked at two weeks ago, hey, if you're thirsty, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink that there was this, this ritual at the Tabernacles Festival where they would pour out water on the altar, and it was a reminder of God bringing water out of the rock in the wilderness. And so it, it, with that's going on, he's like, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. Like that thing was just a shadow. That thing was just a, a precursor, but the, I'm the real deal. I'm the real thing, and I'm here. And so he says that, and then he gets up and says, oh, yeah, and I'm the light of the world, still at Tabernacles. And there was another ritual, another celebration at Tabernacles that revolved around light. And one of the things that would happen is there would be these giant, like, lamp-type candelabra. When I say giant, they were 75 feet tall, and there were four of them in the temple courts. And they held gallons and gallons and gallons of oil. And each night, the, the, the priest would go up, they would climb up, which, I mean, there had to be some shady ladders back in the day to climb up that high. I don't like getting on ladders now, but okay. They would go up, and they would light this, these, these giant, like, torch candelabra lamp posts. And it was said that it would light up the entire temple. It would light up like the whole city of Jerusalem and it could be seen for miles around. Because the temple itself is already on an elevated, you know, on the temple mount, it's up, up high. And then you got these, these lamps that are up in the air, 75 feet. And just for miles and miles and miles, you could see this light shining. And the people would, would, would dance and they would sing and they would celebrate all night long. Even like the, the really like uppity, religious, pious people, they'd be singing and dancing and it would just be a big old party. And it was meant to be a, a reminder, just like the water ritual, this was a reminder of something that happened when they were in the wilderness. How God was with them in the wilderness while the nation of Israel was wandering around, and he was with them in a very specific way. We kind of read about this in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And so Exodus contains this, this picture of uh, Israel and slavery, and God rescuing them, and they're going to come into the promised land, and kind of their wanderings in between, and God gives the law. And at the, the, towards the front end of Exodus, in Exodus 13, we, we read this, that the Lord went ahead of them, this, this people that just came out of slavery, he went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud during the day, and a pillar of fire at night to give them light. 
And so God is with them in a way that they can see, that they can experience. He's, he's cloud during the day in this pillar of fire at night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So for 40 years, when they're going around in the wilderness, when it gets dark out, it's not dark for them, right? It's just like, follow that giant flaming thing, okay? Just like, like that is God with us. That is his presence with us, his presence in the camp. But it was more than just his presence and more than just his direction. It was also his protection of his people, as they, as they come out of slavery in Egypt, Egypt's like, yeah, cool, we'll let you go. And then Egypt's like, nah, just kidding. And they start chasing them. They start pursuing them. Like, we want our slaves back. Get back here, you Israelites. And, and we flip over to Exodus 14. There's this encounter where Egypt's getting closer and closer to the Israelites. And it says that the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. And it became between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. And there was cloud and darkness. And it lit up the night. And neither group came near the other all night long. And so it's God's, God's presence and God's direction, but then when the enemies are closing in, it's, it's God's protection for his people. And so this cloud of, of, of fire, this pillar of fire, this fire cloud, the presence of God was with them in all of their wanderings for 40 years. You get towards the end of Exodus, and um, the law's been given, they've been given instructions on how to make this thing called the tabernacle. It was like this mobile temple. It was this tent that they would build, a place where they would uh, do like kind of their religious ceremonies and rituals and all of these things. And when the tabernacle is constructed and set up, that presence of God comes to fill the tabernacle. Exodus 40, the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the Israelites would set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle through all, all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. And so the way that they knew how to travel through the wilderness was like, okay, God stopped. We're going to stop. All right, God's getting up and moving. This fire cloud is moving. We're going to follow the fire cloud. We're going to play a game, Israel. We're going to play follow the fire cloud. It's going to be great. And like wherever, wherever the, the cloud and fire went, that is where they went. And it would, it would rest and it would settle. And like, okay, we're going to make camp here. The cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night. And it was visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. And so this is very real, very tangible. God is with us. He is with us. He is with us. He's protecting us. He's providing for us. And so when Jesus stands up and says, hey, I'm the light of the world, this is what they're celebrating. This is these giant torches in the temple courtyard that's lighting up the night for everyone in the city of Jerusalem to remind us of, hey, God lit up the night for us as we were journeying through the wilderness. It represents the power, the presence of God. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, you guys, I am, God's name, I am the light of the world. In other words, this whole thing, this whole thing is about me. This whole celebration, this whole festival, what I'm doing here, what you're, what you're celebrating. Again, the festival, and, it, and when you're wandering in the wilderness, it was actually just a shadow. It was a precursor. It was pointing to the real thing, and now he says, I'm, I'm the real thing. The real thing is here. I was the fire and the cloud and the presence with your ancestors. I'm God's protection from your enemies. I'm his power and presence in the wilderness and in the wandering. And it's this incredible and unprecedented claim about the identity of Jesus. It's a claim that would have been shocking to them. And again, with our modern eyes, we don't necessarily see it. We're like, okay, I mean, what's the big deal with what Jesus is saying here? We read this as modern Western people, and sometimes we wonder, like, what's he saying? And, you know, sometimes it'll be said, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. He never used those words and uttered those words in a way that we would hear him. But in a way that these first century Jewish people that were around, when he said, I am the light of the world, they're like, there's no way you just said that. Like, you, what? Are you, are you, are you kidding me? that his, his claims about himself were undeniable. 
Like we, we can't, for them and for us, we can't simply see Jesus as like a religious guru or a moral teacher or, or, or a social rebel. Yeah, there were aspects of that. He was those things, but he was so much more. He was God in the flesh. To say like, I like the teachings of Jesus, but I don't actually, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not down with the whole Jesus is God thing is actually not an option that Jesus gives us because everything that he says and what he teaches and what he does is undergirded by this idea of like, it only matters if I am actually God. So it's like, here I am, I'm God in the flesh, I'm doing this um, among you. And so there's this incredible unity in the story of scripture that the whole thing ends up being about Jesus. From beginning to end, he's like, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And that idea shows up in so many themes from like page one to the very last page of the scripture. Now, I want to kind of look at them this, this, in this, uh, this light this morning because, like, the theme of light shows up in that way. And I want to give us the, the, the two bookends, the beginning and the end, and where this theme of light comes in and how it's all about Jesus. I really wanted to give a whole bunch more passages, but we didn't have time, so they, 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 they hit the cutting room floor, as they say. Um, so at the very beginning, here's what we read. In the beginning uh, of Scripture, the first chapter, like the first page, we read that now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is a really interesting passage. This passage is what's known as like the, the creation narrative, but what's weird when you actually read the creation narrative is like stuff already exists before the creation narrative starts, and we're like, it's formless and empty, and it's like, where did stuff come from? And scripture's like, it's not what I'm talking about, don't care, right? Like, he's like, but God made this stuff, but that's not important. What's important is it was formless and empty, and there was darkness, and there was water. Those are three really important ideas. Formless and empty, darkness, and watery depths all carry the same idea in the ancient Israelites' head. Like, this is the idea of, of a place that is inhospitable to human flourishing. People can't live there. It's an area of death. It's destruction. It's chaos. It's, it's disorder. That, because they're like, like what, what's down in the, the depths and the waters? We don't know. We've never been there. It's scary. Like darkness, there's no sources of light. I don't, like darkness is where bad stuff happens. And being formless and empty uh, is actually this little, in Hebrew, it's like a little rhyme that's really, really hard to bring meaning of it into the English because going from one language to another, you can't ever quite capture something. Um, and I've done this before. I'm gonna do it again because I think it's entertaining. The Hebrew word, like phrase for formless and empty is tohu vavohu. It's a little rhyme. And I want all of you to say it with me, tohu vavohu. Some of you are like, I have no idea if I... <laughs> I'm just, right? Like, yeah, you just go with it. Tohu vavohu, and like one biblical scholar kind of brings down, says, a great definition is actually wild and waste. The wasteland. You, you can't survive there. In fact, the, the only other place where this tohu vavohu is used is actually used when the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness to describe what's outside of their camp. It's tohu vavohu. It's a, it's, a, it's a wilderness. It's a wild wasteland. And here, tohu vavohu, it's dark and it's watery, but where they're at, it's hot, it's desert, it's dry. But either way, it's somewhere where people can't survive. Like it is chaos, it is, it is destruction. And so when God begins to order and to create and to bring beauty, he begins to create this universe and this world for a place where human beings can be placed and can be his image bearers and they can flourish and they can create beauty. And it's just be amazing thing. The first thing that he does to get that process rolling says, we, we, gotta, we gotta do something about this right here. So God says, let there be light. He speaks and the darkness is driven out. And it's not a matter of just like physical darkness. You go on to read the creation narrative, and, and it's like, no, there's still day and night. There's still these rhythms of time, but the, the chaos and the disorder is, is being held back by God so that we can flourish in this world and be in relationship with him and each other. It's this beautiful thing. But then you turn the page, and humans decide, no, nah, we think we rather like the darkness. We like the chaos. We like the destruction. We like the death. We like the disorder. 
God, we would rather do things our own way. We're going to define good and evil. We're going to define right and wrong. We're not going to trust that you have our best interest in mind. We're not going to trust that you love us. And so screw you, God. We're going to do things our own way. And we introduce sin and death and destruction back into God's good world. And the darkness is back. The darkness is back. And then throughout the, the, the scripture then, we see this beautiful picture. Like I said, I had to cut a bunch of the passages out, but this would be a cool exercise for you this week to go look these up where it's like God shows up and he's light in the darkness. He's light in the darkness. He's a light to his people. His word is a light to our path in a dark world. So it's like light, 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 light. And then you get to the end of the story because scripture is this one epic, beautiful narrative. And the apostle John who writes the gospel of John that we're going through also writes the book of Revelation, which is like, crazy and it's hard to understand because it's all this first century Jewish apocalyptic literature and he's trying to describe what he's seeing and he there's this this picture of at the end of time Jesus will return and there'll be a a new creation a new heaven a new earth and it's symbolized by this this city that comes down out of the heavens and John says in that day at the end when Jesus returns there's no more sin there's no more death there's no more sorrow there's no more suffering it says in Revelation 21 that that city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of the Lord illuminates it. Its lamp is the lamb. The lamb throughout Revelation, it's Jesus. It is the crucified Jesus. It is, he is the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. The lamb, through what he has done, through his, his death and his resurrection, has driven out darkness, has defeated it once and for all. And John's like, hey, when we get to the end of where this story is going, when the, when the, when the, when the, when the page closes on this age that we are in and we go into this new age, there will be no more darkness because there's light, and the light is Jesus himself. The nations, this isn't just for some people, it's for everyone, for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everyone is invited. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, it's not just like a nice little thing that he says, like, hey, the world's kind of dark. No, he's, he's, he's proclaiming, I am the one that spoke light into the darkness at the very beginning. I'm the one that brought order out of the disorder. I'm the one that brought beauty out of the chaos. And and humans came and they reintroduced darkness and spiritual darkness and evil into the world through sin. But I am the one that continues to shine in the light. And I am the one that will continue to just drive out darkness, to do something about it once and for all. And eventually, the darkness will be done away with. And there's this picture as if it's, where the story is going, right? It's no more darkness. Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, and what, what was intended to be in the beginning will be again, and it's happening through me. What was meant to be will be, and it's happening through me. I am the light of the world. He makes this, this claim, and it's, it's, it's incredible. He makes this claim about himself, but a claim that he makes about himself has implications for every human being who's ever walked the face of the planet. Because if what he's claiming about himself is, is true, says, I'm the light of the world. If that's true, then there's something in that for, for us that we're invited to. What we're invited to, because Jesus is the light of the world, is to follow him. And if we follow him, we will never walk in the darkness, but we'll have the light of life. It's like, I'm the light of the world, and here's the really, really good news. If you will follow me, you don't have to walk in the darkness. Like, I don't know if, if this has been evident to you guys or not. I, I think it'd be hard not to be, but there's a lot of darkness in our world. There, there's, 
Now, there is darkness abroad, like when we just kind of look at the world in general. There has been darkness and, and suffering in our local communities. There has been some darkness and suffering in our church. There has been darkness in our individual lives, and we are going through some junk, and we look around the world, and there is pain and suffering and loss and anxiety and depression on the rise, and there's the darkness of my sin and your sin and all the stuff we do to ourselves and do to each other, and we get together and we destroy stuff, and it's just like, what is wrong? It's dark. It's dark. But Jesus says, listen, I know that's the reality, but you don't have to walk in the darkness. So one of the things that I love about Christianity in Jesus, in the scripture, is it doesn't sugarcoat the reality that we live in. You're not going to open up scripture and look to the person of Jesus and find him saying, hey, things are just going to be great, everything's going to be wonderful, and you're, you're going to have an easy existence. He says quite the opposite. Like, listen, this world is hard. You're going to have pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be loss. There's going to be darkness. But you don't have to walk in. That doesn't have to be your reality. That you can instead choose something different, different and it won't be easy because it's dark around you. Right? Like God led the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years and they were going to the promised land, but in the in-between, man, it was, it was death and destruction and disobedience and they had enemies around them and like that didn't go away, but all along the way there was this, this picture, this presence of God, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you in this, we're going somewhere and I know it's hard right now, but I am with you. You won't have to walk in the darkness. It doesn't mean that there won't be darkness, but the light of the world is with you lighting your path and guiding you. And the thing is, he says, here's, here's how you don't walk in the darkness. You have to, and here's the, like, the key word, you have to follow me. You gotta follow me. You gotta be with me. You gotta be close to me. The, the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness, they were good as long as they were following God. They saw that, that pillar of fire, the, the, the pillar of cloud, and they're like, we're going where that thing is. If they would've been like, okay, we see the cloud over there, but we're going this way. Well, they would've wandered off into that tohu vavohu, into the death, into the destruction no, 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 like, if you're following me because I'm the source of light, and so if you walk away, if you're not where I am, you're not gonna have the light. So Jesus, hey, you can follow me. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in the darkness. I mean, that's, that's this, this twofold kind of thing because it is a moment, it is a decision, it is the first time I say, you know what, Jesus, like, I'm following you, I believe in you, I, I think you died for my sins, I think you rose from the grave, I'm, I'm trusting in you, I'm giving my life to you. It is that one-time moment for sure. I mean, there are some of you, it's like, that's your step. It's like, you've been putting that off, you've been resisting that, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Today, he says, hey, come follow me. Give your life to me. But then for those of us that are already Christians and followers of Jesus, that's not just a one-time thing. That, that is an everyday kind of thing. Jesus, I want to follow you today. I don't want to walk in the darkness today. I want to walk in your light today. God, I don't, want to, I don't want to live on a recycled faith. I don't want to live on a faith that I had five years ago or 10 years ago. I want to experience your light today. Jesus said, come follow me. You won't have to walk in the darkness. You'll have the light of life. It's like, that's what I'm here to do. I am the light of the world. It's this beautiful thing, and it's this amazing thing, and, and then the people he's talking to are like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. But then he doesn't let up on it, right? He just kind of drives it home. He says, okay, we've had our little conversation about witnesses and all these things, but let, let me just make it really clear. He says, I, I told you, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. Guys, if you don't follow me, if you don't follow me, you're going to be in the dark. If you don't follow me, you're going to die in your sins because there's something about, again, the world is dark and there's darkness out there. If I'm not, if I'm not with him, if I'm not walking in the light of life, not only am I in the darkness, but eventually the darkness is in me. 
And not only am I not in the darkness and the darkness is in me, but I become a part of actually making the world a darker place. It's like, you, you, got, you, got, to, you, got, to be, you got to be a part of me. You got to be walking with me. You got to be in the light or else this darkness will consume you. This darkness and death will consume you and you're going to die in that state. Like that's just going to be your reality. That's going to be your existence. A life of darkness now and forever. Come walk in the light. Because if you do not believe that I am he, and this, this, this is incredible, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to Greek out on you right here, okay? Uh, but in the Greek, dad jokes for days, okay? Like, in the Greek, the word he's not actually there. So in the, our, like, our, like the manuscripts, our English translators put it there because it reads a lot better, right? It makes more sense in English, which is a good thing that they do for us, right? If we had to actually read just like word for word, we'd be like, what? Uh, what does this say? But they put he because it reads better for us. But literally, Jesus says, if you don't believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. Again, he said, if, if, you, if you have not come to the realization that you are staring God in the face, like, I am, if you don't realize that, and I'm the one that, that can speak light into darkness, I'm the one that can, I, I can actually do something about sin. I can break this curse. I can, do, like, if you don't believe that, man, you are going to be stuck in this state of sin and death and darkness. You'll die in your sin. And then he goes on, because they're still like, ah, whatever, we don't really know. But he ends it, this, this idea, this, this, and really drives it home. Verse 28, he, he says, you know what, here's, here's when you'll really understand what I'm talking about. In verse 28, he says, when, when you lift up the Son of Man. Throughout John's gospel, he uses that phrase, when the Son of Man is lifted up. What that always means in John's gospel, lifted up is when Jesus is lifted up on a cross. It's like, that's when you're really going to know who I am. At this point in the life of Jesus in the timeline, we're about six months from him hanging, naked, bleeding out, dying on a Roman cross. Six months, he's going to be dying. Three days later, he's going to be rising from the dead. He says, that's when you're really going to know who I am. When I'm lifted up on that cross, my death and resurrection, because the reality of the Christian faith is it all comes down to that. If it's not for his death and then his resurrection, none of the rest of it matters. Right? He's like, I'm the light of the world. If he's still dead, like, no, you're not. If you died, like this ultimate being consumed by darkness, and you stayed dead, then you can't possibly do anything about my darkness. But because he rose from the dead, the power of darkness has been defeated. He said, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Death in itself cannot hold me. I am restoring and redeeming what was meant to be from the very beginning. I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As I said, I've been thinking about this message for a while. I've known this passage is coming up and as life has unraveled for so many people that I've been talking to, man, God's just been like, hey, this is, this is, trust that I am the light of the world. I don't have anything like extreme or any like, hey, here's the three steps, the three things that you need to do today to have more of the light of Jesus. All I have today is just to tell you guys the light has come. The world is dark. It's messed up. But the light has come and you can walk in it. You don't have to stay in the darkness. The darkness of sin, of shame, of anxiety, of depression, of guilt, of what I've done or what other people have done to me, just the, the, just the, the loss that I'm experiencing. Like, like you don't have to, like that, those things are real and we should not brush over those. And the way of Jesus says, no, 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 like that's a part of your human existence, but the light has come. For the Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness before the promised land and in, in the presence of God was with them the entire time. And we have to understand that like we're, we're, we're in a, 
there's a cosmic kind of picture that we're in right now, where we are like this kind of cosmic timeline is that we are, we are in the wilderness now. That there is a promised land, that there's a time coming. It's not a promised land like it was for Israel where it's like geographic borders and, and a country, but like it is the promised land of a promised age. It, it, it's all of the world. It's the whole creation redeemed and restored. No more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain. He's like, that's the promised land where you're going, but right now we're in the wilderness. There's darkness around us, but just as the presence of God was with them, he is with you. It comes full circle, and it's such a beautiful thing. You know, the presence of God is symbolized by this fire in the wilderness, the fire resting on the tabernacle, the the, the cloud of glory, the fire and cloud. And and then when that tabernacle, when they get into the promised land, eventually they build a temple, a permanent structure for this, and the the glory, the, the presence, the cloud, the fire comes and fills the temple. We get to the New Testament. We get to post-Jesus. And there is no more temple. There's no more place. You've got to go to this place to worship God that the New Testament authors look to us that are followers of Jesus and says, you're, you're the temple now. You're the place where God dwells. Like the, the, the presence of God is, is, is within you. His Holy Spirit is in you. He is living in you. The presence of God fills his, his people. And so Jesus says, hey, you come follow me. You don't have to walk in the darkness. You'll have the light of life. Come follow me. Those who follow him, who put their trust in him, who believe in the, in the death and, and the resurrection of Jesus, he gives this promise and he says, hey, there's going to be someone who comes. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And when Luke describes the Holy Spirit coming in the book of Acts, and what comes down to rest on them? Tongues of fire. And these, these Jewish guys who are sitting in this room who know these stories and they're like, the fire in the wilderness and the fire in the tabernacle and the fire in the temple and then they see this happening. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, he's with me in that way. Like, he's on, like, this is insane. It's the presence of God with it. Like, that, I want you to understand, that is what is available to you. Because you don't have to walk in the darkness. Like, because if you're following me, like, you can't be in the darkness. Like, yeah, the darkness is gonna be around you and you're gonna be affected by it. But man, like, my, my presence is with you. He is in you. Like, my Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power of God resting on his people. You'll never, it may be dark, but you don't have to live in the darkness. You don't have to walk in the darkness. You have the light of life. And it comes so full circle because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. And so I'm with you and I'm in you. And so he also says to you who are a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. Not only do you not have to be in the darkness, but where you go, the darkness flees. The darkness goes away. So you get to go into a world around you that's hurting broken and suffering with so much so you don't have to be in the darkness anymore because the light has come he's good and we can trust in that because he's alive because death and darkness could not hold him and it will not hold us and so Jesus we thank you God we thank you that you are the light of the world that you came that you lived, that you died, that you, we can trust this claim when you say that you are the light of the world. God, may we live and exist in the light. May we take that light to others.